0: The following recording was produced by Christ Redeemer Church of Hanover, New Hampshire. You may find more information on the church and its various resources on the web at www.christredeemerchurch.org.
1: Our sermon passage comes from Colossians three twelve through seventeen and Philippians four six through eight. Colossians three twelve through seventeen. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatsoever is true, whatsoever is honorable, whatsoever is just whatsoever is pure whatsoever is lovely whatsoever is commendable if there is any excellence if there is anything worthy of praise think about these things this ends the reading of god's word
0: good morning and uh thank you sue and i think thank you doug i appreciate that i do it's true i only have one speech and i have been beaten by so many kids I've been in youth ministry now for a dozen years, and you can only take so many beatings. Where you finally just say, "You know what? I'm not. I'm not gonna do this anymore. I'm turning it up. I'm turning the speed up. We're going all the way. It's gonna be hard, but you know, Elias, I will say, he put me on my back almost a couple of times. So he he can put a, he can throw a shoulder here and there himself. And to those of you parents out there, I will. I will say, I, I truly enjoyed your kids. They're great kids. You got some awesome children. We had a lot of fun. The youth conference was a blast. It was, um, we, have, we also have awesome leaders too. We have like this amazing group of people who just sacrifice their time and show up every week. They don't get paid for it, but they hang out with kids just because they love serving Jesus in that way. So it's hugely encouraging. I am so exhausted. And Elias was telling me how bad his body was hurting this morning. It's not my body that's really sore. I'm not feeling any pain in my hips or my calves or I don't have blisters on the bottom of my feet. It's nothing like that. Elias was sharing all those pains. Right, Elias? No? No. All right. I should pray. We should get down to business here. And I should mention that I am going to hightail it out of here uh, as soon as I'm done because I'm going to be preaching in Hanover right after this. So please join me in prayer. Our gracious Lord, you are uh, that. Um, So we come to you now, and I ask for your grace upon us. Have mercy on me as I proclaim your word this morning. May the words I say honor you. May this be a time of encouragement. May it be a time of challenge. May it be a time of great comfort as we reflect on your kindness to us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So as Doug mentioned, it's Thanksgiving week. And now this is a time where many, I'm sure many of you across the nation will, will stop to be thankful. We'll stop for a moment and be thankful with one another. And this is really a kind of an interesting and funny thing we do. We all stop and we say thanks. You know? And As a culture, that's not really a common practice. And, and some of us actually might spend the whole year grumbling and complaining about everybody and everything else in our life. And that yet, on this day, we stop and we give thanks. We have thanksgiving. It's a, it's a strange time to kind of cheer up and acknowledge all the things that are actually good in our life. And perhaps my, my perspective is a little cynical as I approach this and reflect on it. But I, I also would admit that it can be a little bit hard to be thankful and, and it might even feel for some of you in a certain way to be wrong when you're when you 're ex- personally experiencing a lot of hearts heartaches or hardships loss. I myself have had two deaths in my family in the last two weeks. When you step back you you could really dwell on the 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 misery of that and and the sadness of that. The world is a mess. there have been two two shootings just down the road in the last seventy two hours. There's wars going on across the world. There's political bickering going on all around us. Not to mention there are, there are many people who are suffering, who are impoverished, who are experiencing abuses and injustices that many of us have never even known or experienced. It can even feel, uh, it can, it can even feel as though we give thanks against the backdrop of what others don't have. You remember the Pharisee, he's in the synagogue and he he looks and he sees this man and he says, he sees this desperate looking man and he he essentially is saying, thank you, God, that my life is not like his. And we can kind of feel that way at this time of year when we're stepping back and being thankful. Like we're comparing our own lives to other people's. Perhaps we could even, we would say that this is even amplified, that you know we're in a moment in history, we're a nation at a point in history that's more wealthy and affluent than perhaps any other nation that's been known throughout history. And parents, if, if you're like me, you occasionally will catch yourself realizing how spoiled rotten your children are and feeling feeling the need to say things like, you should really appreciate, you should really be thankful for There are kids over in who haven't eaten all, you know, fill in the blank. I think each generation has their one. But it's hard actually as you're listening to the words of Colossians and Philippians here to feel a little bit like that's not exactly what Paul is doing. While he's sitting under house arrest in Rome writing this letter, he directs the recipients of the letter toward Thanksgiving to being thankful, to thanking God. And to be clear, he's not calling them to put on some sort of performance. Like, this isn't some superficial thing. He's calling them to something much deeper. He, you could say that he's actually defining the Christian life here as thankful. To be a Christian is to be thankful. To be a follower of Jesus Christ is to be a thankful person. The life of the Christian is marked by, you've heard this before, an attitude of gratitude and is fleshed out in a posture of reflection and appreciation of the abundance of the grace of God. Now, there are three points for us today as we walk through this passage, and I I think they do flow naturally from what we see here in Paul's words. The first is the challenge of thankfulness. The second is the call of thankfulness, and the third is the cause of thankfulness. So the challenge, the call, and the cause. So let's first look at the challenge of thankfulness. Now, one of the first words we see here in Paul's little, in the, in the passage that we're looking at in the, in the letter to the Colossians, one of the first words is it actually says in the, in the ESV, it says, put on them. Now, in other translations, you might have a different translation out there. It actually flips this. It says, therefore, put on. And now, If you're a good reader, and I I suspect that most of you are, this should direct your attention back. And I didn't put those in there, uh, those verses in there, but allow me to read those to you. Now, he's directing our attention back. He's saying, therefore, so if these things are true, then you need to do this, put on these things. He says, since then, you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind, he says it again, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Then he says this. These are some hard words to hear. He says, put to death. He says, murder whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which are idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things. Then he goes on to say, anger and rage and malice and slander. Paul directs the Christian, as we are a new person in Jesus Christ, to orient our heart on the things above, to set our gaze upward to him, and not on the things of the earth, and additionally to murder to kill to put to death whatever belongs to our earthly nature because certain behaviors ways of thinking and modes of operating have nothing to do with christian living you see it's our nature it's our it's our human nature to be idolatrous to worship things like Power and pleasure, and, th- and really those are the categories of things he's talking about in chapter 3 that I just read. A- and power and pleasure are never satisfied. They're, they're never enough. They're bottomless pits. Actually, and many of you might have seen this movie, but the, the famous hit in The Greatest Showman, I love this song, my kids love it, but this is the, these are the words. I'm not going to sing it, I'm not going to try You don't want to hear that. She says this. She says, all the shine of a thousand spotlights, all the stars we steal from the night sky will never be enough. They're never going to be enough. Towers of gold are still too little. These hands could actually hold the world, but it will never be enough. It'll never be enough. The person ruled by these things can never be thankful. Paul knows that. A person that's ruled by power and pleasure can never be a thankful person because it will never be enough. We come to encounter Jesus as, as thankless wretches, outcasts, wandering. There's no gratitude because there's, there, there's no end to the bottomless pit of our own dissatisfaction. I was, when I was actually thinking about this sermon, I was thinking about that, fa- that famous interaction that Jesus had with the 10 lepers. Perhaps you remember this. This is in Luke 17. Now, now, lepers, you perhaps know, were very much so outcasted from common living and life among people. They were very literally wretches. They were people sent out from the community They couldn't be part of it. Because, obviously, fear that their disease would spread to others. Now, in this story, Jesus is going along, and all of a sudden, these ten lepers who have gathered together, formed their own community around their misery, start crying out, and they say, Pity us, Jesus! Pity us! Show mercy on us! And Jesus says, Go show yourself to the priests. You're well. You are well. Well, this is what's really funny about that story, maybe not funny, perhaps sad and scary. Only one of those lepers, only one of the ten lepers that were healed by Jesus that day, only one, all ten of them were given life by Jesus, only one turned to thank him. Only one. And what what did he have that the others didn't? Why was he thankful and the others weren't? you see our problem with thankfulness is always the same now this guy and Jesus actually makes a note he was a samaritan too which was way more controversial the one out of the 10 happened to be a samaritan so he came and he he it sounded, by the way the story is told by Luke he was almost awkwardly praising god he's he's booming loudly praises for God, and he falls to Jesus' feet and he thanks him. But you see, our our problem with thankfulness is always the same. The nine lepers encountered Jesus and went back to their life. And they concerned themselves for their earthly life and existence. The one stopped to say thank you. He expressed gratitude for the giver's gracious gift. He and only him. His heart was compelled by by the work of Jesus. He was thankful for what he received, and he actually gave thanks to God. It was personal to him. It makes you wonder, how, how could someone who received so much forget to be thankful and to give thanks? How could someone who received so much forget to be thankful and to give thanks? Perhaps this should give us pause. This brings us to our next point, the call of thanks. Now, here we can see uh, there three times in, in Paul's, in, in, the, in the passage that we're looking, for, looking at today, Paul directs the recipients of the letter and us to be thankful. He says it three times, verse 15, verse 16, and verse 17. And, and each time, it's a slightly different phrasing. So let's look at those. So verse 15, he says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Be thankful. Verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. And whatever you do, verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You see, the first one says, be thankful. Be thankful. And, and honestly, I, I, I've asked this question in another time when I preach a sermon, but it's like telling someone to actually have a certain kind of attitude. It very rarely works, right? Be thankful. That sort of demand on someone else rarely has the response you're looking for. He goes on to say, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Where is thankful? The, where is the, the center of thankfulness? It is the heart. And then he says, now with your words, give thanks to God. Now, one commentator said it this way, the Christian life, as he was reflecting on Colossians, the Christian life is a song of thanksgiving, a glad and joyous hymn of praise to God. give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Jesus Christ for you. That's what he says in, in Thessalonians, later on, or I'm sorry, to the Ephesians, he says, "Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he proceeded at once to indicate that a prominent mark of the spirit filled life is thanksgiving. Always and for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God the Father. Ephesians 5. A Christian should be thankful. The heart attitude of the Christian is thankfulness. Give thanks to God. And because thankfulness so pervades the heart of the Christian, it emanates from his very presence. It glows from her face. It shines. It's the wedding gown of the bride of Christ. Putting on thankfulness is not a mere facade. He's not saying just cover yourself up, hide the truth, and and make it look to the world like you're really a thankful person. No, it's a beautiful representation of what is true in the heart. And Paul sees that. He knows it. He's challenging them in that. He's not saying put on a show. He's saying this is in you. Now you might say, as you're hearing these things from Paul or from me, you might say in protest of this that, that, that's not what, that that's not what the Christians I know look like. You might be sitting back and being like, ah, Chris, you're talking about Christians being thankful. Huh? If you met the ones I know, they're not like that. And, and sadly, you might be right. Frankly, it's much easier and more natural for us to complain, isn't it? To grumble, to look at the ugly side of the story, right? As a matter of fact, if you were one of those lepers healed by Jesus in that moment, you could possibly be saying, well, sure, Jesus, you know, you healed me. That's fine. Great. But now what? I I have no home. I have no family. I I have no life to live. Thanks a lot, Jesus. Now I'm healed, but what can I do? I got no food to eat. I got no car to drive. I got no job. Everything was, everything was terrible. Everything's terrible now that you've done this, Jesus. It's like a Taylor Swift X song, you know, famous for re- remembering all the good that happened. to the re- No, all the bad. It always reflects on the bad of the relationship. And this is exactly what we do. And this is far more contagious, isn't it? And it's far more insidious. It, it's, it, it has a way of causing sort of a domino effect. You start grumbling and complaining, reflecting badly on an experience and it just keeps spiraling it's way easier to grumble and complain than it is to actually cultivate thankfulness it's easier to grumble about husbands and wives and kids and jobs and bosses and students and work than it is to be thankful And why do we do that it's not only just because it's easier not only because it's like our baseline in seeking power and pleasure but it also fits our storyline better, right? Because we're the center of the story. We're all the center of our little story. We deserve better, don't we? I deserve so much better. You deserve better, right? That's why your story sounds like you're, you know, always the one that's the wrong one. The one that's been wrong, rather, not the wrong one. And even after Paul implores us to put on thankfulness, we might even... Start arguing further. We might say, it's not so easy. My life's a mess. I'm anxious. I'm depressed. I, I'm frustrated. I, people keep dying around me. I'm angry. I'm sad. I'm poor. I'm struggling. How can I how can I be thankful when my life is literally a dumpster fire? How? And Paul has an answer to this. And I don't think it's it's dismissive of real difficulty and challenges. I mean, I mentioned before, Paul is writing as he's imprisoned right now. So he's no fool to difficulties and challenges. He's a man who's well-versed in life challenges. He's experienced all kinds of abuses and injustice and loss. He gets it. But his answer is clear. He says, Orient your gaze away from the concerns of this world. John Ortberg said it this way Gratitude is the ability to experience life as a gift. It liberates us from the prison of self preoccupation. What Paul does is he says, Actually, this is your problem, and this is where you need to start looking. Don't be so self-preoccupied. Don't consume yourself. It sounds very ought and authoritative. And he is being very directive. He's saying, put on. How do you put on? Gaze. Set your gaze toward him. Set your gaze out from your earthly experiences and look toward him. Which brings us to our third point, the cause of thankfulness. So we've seen... We've seen now the call, and now we're going to look to the cause. Now, it's helpful if we look at uh, this passage from the lens of blessing. And I kind of, I had to step back and do this a little bit, because when when someone's telling you to do something, to put on something, to behave in a certain way, to think in a certain way, I tend to, maybe I'm alone in this, I tend to have a knee-jerk reaction where I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, 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 give me some space, i got to sort this out. But when I started looking at this as, a, as actually, from, from thankful eyes, that this is actually a blessing from God, this passage speaks to God's abundant blessing to us, it really, it really reoriented my perspective of this. From the outset, Paul tells you that you are chosen by God. You are chosen. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones. Be thankful. He then says the unbelievable thing that you are, he, that you are holy, that you're set apart and beloved by God. He says that you're holy, that you're beloved be, by God. That you're loved by the Creator. You, you are loved. You're welcomed in by God. He loves you not because of what you offer Him, but because you're His. You have been chosen. You are holy. And you are beloved by God. And then we also see that we are forgiven by God. Now, it's easy for us to breeze past this little statement. And yet, and yet what what... What word has greater significance to you and I than you are forgiven? To wrong a person in your life and to receive relief for the burden of that wrong. It's not a small thing. This is no small thing at all. To look in the eyes of the person you've wounded, that you've hurt, that you have blatantly disregarded, that you have betrayed, and for them to say to you, you're forgiven. I'm not sure if there's any greater relief that there is in life. Especially when we know this wrong. Now, we often don't know this in our relationships, right? Especially when we know this wrong, that this injustice is never going to be thrown back into our face again. Now, we rarely know that in our relationships, do we? It's never to be held against your account. You're forgiven. You're forgiven for everything you've done and will do to wound or harm yourself or others or God. You're forgiven. Thanks be to God. You're forgiven every, for every thought you have and, and will have had against yourself or others or God. God. You're forgiven. Thank you, God. And it's by this that we can know this deep peace and that the word of Christ could actually dwell within us. We've received forgiveness once and for all. When that leper fell at the feet of Jesus and was awkwardly shouting praises to God, he did so because he received new life from Jesus. Jesus. And Jesus actually said something interesting to him. And I didn't mention it before. He said, your faith has made you well. You see, Jesus did this work. Jesus did, he gave him this gift of life. And he did the same for you and I. He gave you and I life. He offers you and I life. And he did so and he does so reflectively at the expense of his own life. His life for your life. His death paid the price for your sin. Your pursuit of pleasure and power. You see, he died a gruesome death so that the judgment of death would not rest on your head. Far be it from us to not dwell on these things. Imagine someone who has been given so much could not turn and say thank you to him. And more than all of those things, he then rose from the dead so that we could actually be a participant in all of these rich blessings, chosen by God, holy and blameless in the sight of God, forgiven, made new, so that you could put on compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience, that you could actually forgive as he forgives that you could actually love and be in peace. So that not a dead Savior, but, savior, but a, a risen Savior could actually rule and reign in your heart. And, and actually, if you look at the final words, he says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the, of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. So that everything that we could do could have eternal meaning and significance. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. We we have a lot to be thankful for. So what have we seen today? We've seen the challenge or the difficulty of thankfulness. We've seen the call of Paul to be thankful. And we've even seen in that where we feel a rub. And we've also seen the cause of our thankfulness. What is the source? Where does that come from? You see, why are we thankful people? Why are Christians thankful people? What causes us to be that way? He's made you, you who are a wretch, his treasure. Now, I promised you three points. I have a bonus point as well. Is that okay? A bonus fourth point. I'm just, I'm going to throw it in there. If that's okay with you guys, I need a nod yes though. Okay, good, good. We got a bonus point. It's the character of thankfulness. Now, I, I want I wanted to direct her. So again, we've got the challenge, the call, and we also see the cause. Now I want to look at the character of thankfulness. And this is what I want to leave you on. And this is really more of a reflective point. What does a thankful person look like? I hope that these, these questions that I throw, out or th- I throw out to you today will be helpful. Things for you to consider as you leave this place. And perhaps bring them even to God in prayer, bring them before him, or bring them to others. But there are three things in this under this point, reflection, actions, and contentment. A thankful person reflects with joy and can see blessings. A thankful person reflects with joy and can see blessings. Let me ask this, are you the kind of person that shares only the ugly side of the story? Are you a Taylor Swift? You don't have to put it in those categories if you don't want to. Let's look to actions. A thankful person lives like the giver of the gift. A thankful person lives like the giver of the gift. This is a call to obedience. Does your life, your conduct and service look like it is conforming to the image of the giver of life? Does your life look like it is conforming to the image of the giver of life? And finally, contentment. A thankful person is satisfied with the life God has given them. This is a hard one. This is a really hard one. A thankful person is satisfied with the life God has given them. Is your thankfulness contingent upon your circumstances? Is your thankfulness contingent upon your circumstances? Brothers and sisters, friends, we have great cause to be thankful. Paul is not merely challenging us in a superficial sense to be a people of gratitude, a thankful people. He's directing our attention to the many, many reasons we have to be thankful of the God who has created us and given us life, and given us hope, and given us salvation. Would you please join me in prayer? (coughs) Father, far be it from us, those who have been blessed so abundantly, to not, or perhaps to lose sight of, how kind you have been to us. Father, we are so thankful for what we have in you, in your Son, Jesus Christ, the many blessings that we have in and through him. Lord in in heaven, we pray that you show us, show us what it looks like to be a grateful, to be a people of gratitude, people who live and reflect the glorious image of your Son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.